in one age, called the Third Age by some. An age yet to come. An age long past. A wind rose on the Geek at Arms podcast. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Welcome to Woolheads, a Wheel of Time podcast by Geek at Arms. I'm Brian, and here's a man that I think surely must be Taviran. It's James. The light of loom you, Brian. And you as well, James. So let's get into this thing. Uh, so I wanted to start off with a little bit of talk about the production, uh, mm-hmm. production quality, the things that they did with the show. Did you have any introductory thoughts on along those lines? I was happy to see that Amazon, to quote another big franchise, spared no expense uh, when it came to shooting this show with uh, something which has so many diverse locations, colorful characters, magic, sword fighting, uh, monsters, and and evil wind, then you 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 don't do it on the cheap. Mm-hmm. So put put your money if you're going to do it, put your money where your mouth is, and do it right. Now we got that in places. <laughs> there were it was it was I mean I know it's the first season but I thought that as far as effects go sometimes they were a little touch and go so when they when they were when they were good boy were they good when they were not so good I was like oh we're approaching made for TV movie quality yeah some of the the effects had that CG curse on them that didn't particularly the channeling stuff uh, just didn't quite look persuasive enough to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the locations, I mean, kudos on them for not uh, relying on sound stages for the most part. I mean, obviously, yes, you have to do the ways in a sound stage. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm happy to say that those were more like they were few and far between. And so mm-hmm. when they did come, they were very much a change of pace. Um, the towns that they built... Uh, Edmonds Field had a very real organic look to it. I'm oh, thought, yeah. if that's a place that you're going to like actually build up, build Edmonds Field, even though it's a place that going forward, very little time is going to be spent there. This is the origin. This is a place of huge importance to the story and to the characters. Do it right. And I felt they did. I felt like Edmonds Field was a place I could walk right into. Yeah. And, Put going on location. I think they shot a lot of that in the the Czech Republic near Prague, mm-hmm. and it just really showed their their courage. And it's like we're going to go someplace and we're going to shoot this in some place that looks like a fantasy setting. You know, mm-hmm. that was what made Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson's trilogy, look yes. so fantastic. Was hey, we're going to go to New Zealand and we're going to get Middle Earth. Yeah, know? they did the same thing by by choosing these Eastern European mountainous locations that you're just fantastically gorgeous they're beautiful to look at and they set they 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 make you feel like you're really in the environment of the wheel of time Mm -hmm. how do you feel about the casting overall i love it Mm -hmm. um obviously the people that i was most worried about were the big three rand perrin and matt i liked all three i really did um, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that we've lost Matt. 
uh, that yeah. first seat. I, I don't know what's going on with that gentleman. He had to bow out at the end. I've, I've not been able to find the whys or wherefores he did it. I hope he's okay. I hope that he's healthy and that everything is all right in the world. Um, I'm sad to see him go because I thought he made a great mat. What I heard was that um, as the, the pandemic was starting and people were, were uncertain how bad this thing was going to be, they decided to go ahead and keep shooting at the beginning of it. And he was not comfortable uh, going on set with this, this sickness coming around. And I think probably in the long run, he was the wiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, that meant that they had to, they had to recast him. He couldn't come back after that. Um, and he did miss the last two episodes of of season one. Mm-hmm. I will which, say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, which is going to change things mm-hmm. in season two and, and following. We'll get to that uh, yeah. a little later. Well, in the it, show. it changed things. Even though those last two episodes, there was a fight at the, in the very last episode between Perrin and Padden Fane. I'm watching that and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I bet that this was supposed to have been Matt versus Fane, but because but but they this this is the writers scrambling, just trying to salvage the uh, the story together to make it work. So yeah. I was I was once I th- had that thought, I was a little more forgiving of it. And uh, what you said about um, the gentleman who plays Matt uh, Barney Harris, you made a decision about your health, and I mm-hmm. will never fault anyone for that. Uh, I would just. I thank you for an awesome performance in the first season, and I hope things go well in the future. So let's talk a little bit about uh, differences between the books and the show. We've touched on a little bit, uh, some things that we see why they changed, maybe we how, how we feel about them, uh, particularly Matt. Uh, I was uh, really unhappy with his characterization mm-hmm. uh, of both Matt and his parents, Um I mean, Abel Cawthon was not a huge part of the books, but he but... wasn't a he, he wasn't an abuser or neglector, right? I mean, and I really it really disturbed me that they they went that direction with him. No, exactly. They, I, I think, and we may have talked about this before. They read about the book character of um, Conger, yeah, Wit Conger, Wit Conger, who. Zimbui. Yeah, those gentlemen who are just – it seems like every village has got one. The guy who's always drinking, the guy who you know doesn't take care of his farm, kids and wife are, are unhappy and look beat. You know the types. And mm-hmm. I feel like they combined Matt's parents with that because for, for no other reason because they thought it would make for a more tragic backstory for the character for him to grow out of. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? We we don't need we he doesn't need that honestly I, don't, I it didn't add anything to the character and I thought it detracted from the drama of the story with with the dagger and everything oh completely because agree. that's this happy go lucky he's a trickster sure but yeah. you know he's he's the lovable affable rogue and it was the dagger that turned him dark mm-hmm. whereas now we've got this thing where uh, the dagger was feeding on Matt as much as he was feeding off it and that kind of things like, yeah uh, yeah but. If, if it makes him broody, they're like, well, how can you tell? He was already brooding going into it. Right. Okay, so now he's broody with dark circles under his eyes. 
And <laughs> it, it took one thing I also appreciate about the character of Matt in the books was that he was a trickster, uh, not not a low life, but he, he, a rapscallion. But when the chips were down, he had your back. Right, you could trust yes. him. He was loyal to a fault. He would always be there for you. Um, and it, which he exhibited several times. Once he gave his word, he meant it. And mm. the Matt he might complain about it. Oh, a lot. he's absolutely going <laughs> to complain about it. He might be late too, and he may, and there's no way, uh, there's no bloody way he's showing up sober. But <laughs> he'll be there. The guy, the one that we are treated to in the show. Um, at this point, you question that. So what about changes that uh, we do like? Um, hmm. I'll, I'll lead off on this yeah. one because the differences between the books and the shows uh, so far that has really struck me was the way it treats ritual and religion. Because I always felt like in the books that was, it was there, but it was really unfocused. You didn't really know, you know, what do these people believe? How do they express that in their culture? Well, I wonder if that's because as the, um, I wonder if that is because um, Robert Jordan was creating the world of mythology as he was writing the books. Um, could be, could I, he had very – you can tell from the first book, uh, The Wheel of Time, that there were a lot of things that were really up in the air in his head. Um, yeah, that became, but it's not like he was an inexperienced author. He was already had a really long list of books that he'd written. Oh, wait. He had done a, a series of Conan novels, didn't he? Yeah. I would forgotten about those. I think he'd written like – 10 or 15 books prior okay. to starting the wheel of time. Ah, okay. Um, but the, the religion expressed that we saw in the show, like the water funeral mm -hmm. made me weep all three times. I've watched, I've watched the show all the way through three times and that just kills me every time. It is something that he was light on in the books. Um, like we, we are told about the warders, and their mm -hmm. importance and uh, their some of their origins, but we don't really. I don't. And correct me if I'm wrong. You've read more of the books more recently than I have. But do we ever get really a glimpse into the Warder culture as a whole? We get a little bit of it from uh, seeing how they interact with Gawain and Galad, but since that was always kind of in the background, mm -hmm. um, and the the breaking of the tower happened so early on in comparison to the length of the series as a whole true we didn't really get a whole lot of the water culture such as it is so to see that funeral moment it gives you a glimpse into it and it's a small moment which they included in the show but uh, was well done mm -hmm. and that they gave land this moment of really outwardly showing his grief and screaming and and grief over his friend being lost I thought was just fantastic because a lot of the times in these shows especially with a character who's as stoic as Lan, you know, he's got to be manly he's he's never going to show his emotions but this opportunity for him to to be so outwardly outwardly expressive was so powerful and speaking of casting again, kudos to Daniel Henney he's oh, yes. doing a fantastic job as one of my all-time favorite characters in the series Landman Dragorin um, I, I still have some issues with the tactical pajamas, which I <laughs> I talked about at length on the Geek at Arms podcast. I'm sorry. That's my first thought when I saw them. I'm not going to hold back on it, but moving on. <laughs> um, 
but the uh, the ritual with the hair braiding at the very, very beginning, almost the first thing that we see is Egwene going through her coming of age ceremony. Oh, yeah. I thought was also really, really nice. I loved how they took something which got so little description in the books and they expanded it and made it something very real and intimate for these ladies. How do you feel about Perrin's marriage? Not going to talk about it because it didn't happen. <laughs> well, I'll talk about it a little bit because I think this is one of the things that is a little bit stronger uh, for his, his ultimate arc mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's going to really heighten the contrast between his, his struggling between the ax and the hammer. And I think it's going to make his terror of anything happening to Fael later on, you know, it's just going to really heighten that in my opinion. I will say that having him married from the get go felt very forced to me because mm-hmm. these, when when you're introduced to these young men in the books, does it ever say how old they are? Are they 17? Are they 18 years old? I think they're 16. 16. Okay. Um, and they were all I, – I, I saw them all as, all as pretty much the same – as close to the same age, like months mm-hmm. apart at most. And yeah, I think – Go ahead. Uh, I think it was important that they were even just like weeks apart yeah. in birth. Oh, yes, I remember. Um, I think Moraine made mention of that. But you feel like he's been married for a little while in the mm-hmm. in this show, and we see his wife do blacksmithing. We really don't see him do any blacksmithing, but she sure does. <laughs> And yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree. It's going to make for uh, an interesting dynamic about the the choosing between the hammer and the axe and how much he hate, utterly hates the axe, but he's going to use it because it is still a useful tool. Um, I just I it, it just I don't know. It felt odd. And I felt like it, they were using the trope of the fridged wife to yeah. create to create a ethical and psychological situation for him down the road. Tell so yeah. you know what you want to make it so that he hates the ax. Fine. You didn't have to kill a woman to do it. And don't get me started on the last minute implied love triangle love between grand <laughs> Perrin and Egwene. That about made me throw something at the TV. Yeah, that was uh, definitely a CW moment. <laughs> I yeah, anyway, but um, are there? Go ahead. Are there changes that uh, you that you think are are good for the show? You know what? Yeah, trying to fit a novel of that size with with so many different different locations and so much going on into a TV season is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought overall they did a good job. Um, it, it, that does lead me to a major point that I have for them, a, a complaint I would even say, and that is you, the first season was, I believe 10, ep- 10 episodes. I think so. It should have been at least 12. Yeah. For no other reason than we should have had more time 
for these characters to interact and grow so we could see them develop together. Yeah, I really liked the the bit when they're writing uh, before they reach Shadar Logoth and they're singing the song. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's like, I would really have loved to see a little bit more of that. The, hey, the whole thing about uh, the boys being excited about, hey, we're in a big city. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why they go off exploring Shadar Logoth when they really shouldn't. Yeah. Because they were excited to be on an adventure once they got over the adrenaline of being chased by Trollocs. Yeah. And we don't get any of that. It's all no. complaining all the, all the time. And they, there are a lot of moments where they don't act like people who have grown up with each other. Mm-hmm. They act like people who have been hired to be around each other. <laughs> The script says we have some backstory conversation now. So blah 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 blah. Love triangle. Love triangle. Yeah, it got that way sometimes. I think that I really like. I'm sorry. With all, I will say also with all the money that Amazon threw at this, they could have had another two episodes at the very least. But yeah, I'm. I don't know how many episodes season two is supposed to be, but. Um, like I know the show's been approved all the way through season three, so uh, do it right, Amazon. Yeah, give us more. But go ahead. Another change that I I've enjoyed was adding Egwene and Nynaeve as Taviran because they are they effectively are. Did I miss yeah. that? Uh, I don't know if it was said explicitly, but when Moraine goes there and she says, "I found five potential dragons." And if she's measuring potential dragon by Taviranness, then I think that both Egwene and Nynaeve must be. Well, that explains I, some of the actions that both Egwene and Nynaeve have, uh, or some of the deeds they're able to perform uh, mm-hmm. throughout the show. Because they're able to do some stuff with the one power that they should not be able to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's some things that are happening with the one power that should be impossible, just kind of in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> like uh, Logain disintegrating the axe as it's coming through the shield. It's like, no, he's cut off. There's no, I've got the one power inside this bubble. Yeah, <laughs> it was a cool visual, but no, it that, was. Yeah, but no, that. Yeah. And uh, at the the big fight at the end, I'm like, oh, it. Apparently she's had no training, but she did. She just bring that person back from the dead. <laughs> okay, hey, hey, we can do what we want. Death has no meaning. Yep. Um. So what about uh, with all of these changes we saw? Some more significant than others. Uh, there was something that went on when the books were still being written. Uh, Dragon Mount and so forth. Uh, websites we called it theory crafting. It's like, we have no idea what's coming, but we're going to make stuff up anyway. And we'll see how, <laughs> how correct we were. So I've got a couple of, of notions. Uh, most of them are more questions than predictions. Okay. It's like uh, Moraine being shielded at the end. Uh, yeah. It's implied that she's been stilled, but obviously it's that's not the case. She's just shielded and it's been tied off. Yeah. But um, it was done by a male channeler, so she's kind of hosed right. at the moment. Um, but throughout the, the Great Hunt and the novels, Moraine was absent through most of it. 
Uh, and I think this is probably a way to keep their biggest star on the screen. Mm-hmm. I had the same thought the next season. Uh, so she, we can probably expect her to be going to Falm to face the Sean Sean. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little curious what's going to happen with Egwene and Nynaeve because they should be going to Tarvalon. I think that we will, I think that they're going to take a different route in the second season than they did in the book because there was one location, a very important location that was left out of the first season that I think we are going to get treated to in the second. And that is, uh, Karhien. Okay. I'm sorry. Which is the capital of Andor? Uh, Camelin. Camelin. Yes. Too many C's. Um, yes, yes, (laughs) we are going to be treated to Camelin. I think that their road, they're going to track Padden Fane to Camelin, and maybe from there, that's when their paths will split. But that's also where uh, Rand will have his first encounter with Elaine. With Elaine, thank you. I'm already <laughs> running into the problem of remembering all the names. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. They'll probably replace the bit in that they did have in Kyrian in the Great Hunt with Camelin. That makes that would make a lot of sense. Because that's such an important location and such an important relationship. They've got to bring yeah. Elaine into it. I wasn't surprised that they left it out in the first season. But I think at this point they have to bring it in in the second. And mm-hmm. also having that be the split-off point to where um, we know that there are at least one – there's at least one sister and probably more in Andor. And they could be the ones to escort um, Aguin and Nenev to Tar Valen. That, that It makes sense in my head. We'll see if it actually happens on screen. I think that they've uh, combined the characters of Leandrin and Elida. So I'm curious where that's going to go. If we see Leandrin become Omerlin, or if she does the whole running away as a dark friend thing. Oh, and by the way, for any listeners, uh, spoilers here. (laughs) Spoilers all throughout this. You know what? Yeah. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Just (laughs) expect it. (laughs) But they they built her up so so much. She's a major antagonist, at least for Moraine. Uh, And if they stay true to the books and she is a dark friend, that's going to be really interesting having her opposing Moraine more than opposing... Egwene, nine even Elaine, as she does in the books. Do you think that the season will actually end with uh, the Sianshan army coming over the horizon and then being beat back by the heroes of legend uh, from the Horn of Valir? I think it has to. I mean, in terms of uh, storytelling tropes and, and film craft, you've introduced the Horn of Valir. You've introduced the Shanshan in the the uh, the teaser, the cliffhanger, those things have, good, have got to resolve at the end of season two uh, or halfway through season two, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to be able to keep up this thing of doing a season per book because I don't see the show going 14 seasons. I Well, here's the thing. I believe that I read that they are trying to pack book two and three into this season. So yeah. we might be seeing a very shortened chase across the land. Uh, the Horn of Valir being blown in like episode four or five. And then um, 
suddenly everyone ends up in the Stone of Tear. <laughs> right. Well, kind of abrupt, but we got that's how that's what we did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if they might skip the Stone of Tear, actually. I hope not. I would really love to see that. I mean, I'm sure we'll see it here at some point, but the Stone of Tear has – that location has been a favorite of mine, and I, I would love to see it on screen or in their interpretation of it. Yeah, and Kalimdor, I mean. Oh, yeah. We, that that's, scene, like, that's too important. You talk about uh, plot points. Kalimdor is – is huge in places. I think they have to put it. Plus, it's a giant crystal sword. I mean, right. that's going to look <laughs> awesome. Or, let, me, let me amend that. It had better look awesome. <laughs> yes. So, in, in terms of... <clears throat> pardon me. In terms of corners they might cut, the Stone of Tear seems like a likely one. But it's also a major, major, you know... Uh, if you're going by rule of cool... That's tippy top, especially that bit where he uh, slaughters all of the shadow spawn mm-hmm. that come to attack him there. Yeah. Yeah. If if, if the book does uh, the writing of an excellent action scene for you, don't take away from it. Just do it. <laughs> right. Um, and then we got uh, just a hint of, of Rand's parentage. I mean, we see the the uh, the Io, Io woman giving birth, and we find out okay, well, this was this was Rand That's, as a baby. That has got to be one of my no. I'm, I'm going to claim it. That is my favorite action scene in the entire oh, yeah. first season. <laughs> that was spectacularly done. The camera work, the effects, the choreography. It showed how tough and brutal the Aiel warriors are, especially a woman, because they are deadly, that an Aiel warrior can take out five, six soldiers in between labor pains. Mm -hmm. Well, and she's not actually Aiel even. Exactly. Uh, They did reveal in in the credits that that was to grain. So... That part, at least, they haven't changed, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly where they go with it. Uh, see, because it was, uh, we had Tigraine and her brother, Luke, and then Luke. I was, I'm still confused. I have read the series seven or eight times, and I'm still confused about the Luke and Isom thing. Yeah, me too. Like, there are two people, but they're one person, and I, I don't know. <laughs> that was strange. Um, I don't know that we're going to get that, but it would be interesting if it does. I do hope that we see Varen in season two. I think we're supposed to. Because she's my favorite. <laughs> by far. She was actually my... Uh, I was a diehard, very old Varen uh, theory crafter. Gotcha. Because of... In the books, it's she. She lies at some point, and everybody seized on that as like, well, "How can Nia Sedai tell a lie like that?" And then she she makes a comment at some point that matches one of the memories in Matt's head. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, she's actually like the the mother of one of these ancient generals in Matt's head." So she's got to be like nine hundred years old. Mm-hmm. I was I was so attached to that theory. 
I'm so very disappointed that it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and she definitely has some twists and turns um, mm -hmm. as the books progress. One in particular that I did not see coming. Uh, <laughs> caught me flat-footed, yeah. I'll admit it. That wasn't a, another major theory uh, that was put forward. The exact way it uh, played out, I don't think anybody had predicted. Mm -hmm. uh, we were fairly sure that Robert Jordan was reading the boards and changing what he was doing when people guessed it. <laughs> oh, they got that one right. I'm going to change it. His username was totally not Robert Jordan. Right. <laughs> what was his uh, real name? Um, no, I don't remember now. James Rigney. He's probably actually just posting under James Rigney. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any last thoughts? Well, we've got season two coming up real soon. And... I'm looking forward to it. We've had quite a while uh, for Amazon. Too long. Too long um, for Amazon to hear the complaints and the suggestions. And we'll see what they do with them. And I'm looking forward to seeing who they've got as Matt. I'm looking forward to them fixing Perrin. And <laughs> uh, Rand's doing a good job. Uh, Moraine, keep on rocking. Um, I, I would, I'm really looking forward to seeing Egwene and Nanyev making it to the tower and seeing their journey through that, uh, which is so formative. Uh, and, and we need, we need to see more lo loyal. Oh yeah. We, we need more, I'm not yeah. sold on his makeup, but I love the character. Love the character. Uh, I love the reaction to him. Uh, there definitely needs to be, you know what, but you, that was the season one lol. You know what we can, yeah. he, he was there season two lol, make the fixes. Let's have him the, the way he's supposed to be. And let's have a lot of him. I'm really looking forward to season three loyal when we're, I hope that they do the battle of uh, the two rivers. Yes. Yes. If they skip that, I will be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that when we get there at length. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So James, I have loved talking with you. This has just been an overview of season one of the wheel of time. Uh, as we move forward, we're going to be reviewing season two episode by episode, and we'll get a little bit more in depth on every plot point, I hope. And until then, the light shine on you, and may you shelter in the palm of the Creator's hand. Cool.